0: Well hello Chris. Hey John. Welcome to another episode of Saul Searching, the podcast where we recap the latest episode of AMC's Better Call Saul. Hooray. And Chris before we get into the episode I have a little bit of business to clean up from from actually episode four of this show where I asked you at that time how many more episodes did you think Jimmy would be working at Davis and Maine? Mm-hmm. And you said about three more episodes.
1: I said two and a half meaning the middle of that episode that's three episodes away or whatever.
0: Yeah, right. In fact, which is almost incredibly accurate because about halfway into this episode, episode seven, now that was episode four. So we had episode five and six and half of seven where Jimmy was still employed. We didn't talk about it on the show, but off air, we kind of made a bet. I said, if you're right about this, if it's two and a half episodes, Mm -hmm. name your terms is actually what I said. Yes. So as you can see, here I am with your spoils, uh, your sleigh bells. Thank you. A gallon of my famous gumbo. Mm. And two kittens. One black, one calico.
1: Yep, just like I asked. Thanks, this is great. I'm glad I got it correct, or I would have had to give you a dollar. At
0: any rate, I've got to recoup my losses here. I was wondering... And this sounds a little nutty, I think, but I found this website that lets you gamble on anything. Uh-huh. You can just pick anything and you can bet money on it. Uh-huh. So I was going to ask you a few questions about the future. I mean, now that I know that you've got these amazing uh, precognitive
1: abilities, do you think maybe you could help me out with some of these bets? Well, uh, sure. I mean, if you have that much confidence in, in me, uh, then uh, I'll, I'll give it a shot.
0: I have an almost foolish amount of confidence in you based on this one simple thing. Okay. I just got some questions here that I'm going to ask you, and you can just give me your first thoughts if, if that's all right. I mean, is that how you do it? Do you kind of go to your first thought? Yep, just a gut. All right. Give me some gut reactions to okay. what happens in Star Wars Episode Eight? Uh Chewbacca eats BB-8. Okay. Chewbacca. All right. Who will win the 2016 presidential election? Wolf Blitzer. Oh, you know? You wouldn't expect it. But, I mean, it makes so much sense when you say it. Right, when you really look. Now. Maybe the most important question. When are we going to end this bit?
1: Mm, how about uh, right now?
0: So, here we are talking about episode seven of season two of Better Call Saul. This episode was called Inflatable for obvious reasons, if you've seen it, and... Um, If you haven't seen it, don't listen. And um, it was written by Gordon Smith, who this season also wrote the episode Gloves Off, where Jimmy and Chuck had their big scene where Jimmy kind of said, roll around in the dirt with me and everything. Yeah. And directed by Colin Buxey, who thus far this season hasn't directed any episodes, but he directed a couple of episodes in season one of Better Call Saul and had prior to that directed uh, quite a bit of uh, Breaking Bad. So there's your pedigree for the episode. Okay we talked a little bit before we started recording about the flashback at the beginning that we both kind of had a feeling that a flashback was imminent, but you said that like a month or so ago you were, you sort of just got this image in your head of a young Jimmy that they might go back and show us like a formative childhood event.
1: I kind of pictured that we, you know, we might see some really psychoanalytical moment where we, we get into why would a person be like this? And my, my vision was that maybe there'd be some school incident where uh there was such an injustice, and the only way for things to go right was to work outside the system and to trick the system. You know, if there was just a bad teacher in place or something, uh, they, they didn't uh, make it that over the top or, or anything. But uh, this was a cool, a cool and, and simpler way to show it, and it was neat to see him as a kid.
0: My thought that there might be a flashback to his childhood was signaled by the story that Chuck told Kim a couple weeks ago. I was thinking, oh, I wonder if they're going to flash back to Jimmy's childhood in order to explain the question that dangles from that story that Chuck told, which is just, is Chuck right about Jimmy pilfering money from the till? Mm-hmm. They fake us out a little bit in the scene, though, because we see Chuck Sr. pulling money from the till to give the guy. And I had a moment of thinking, oh, is the $14,000 in unaccounted-for funds the result of the dad just giving people money out of the till over the course of running the business? As I was having those thoughts, the scene... You know, within minutes you see, oh, okay, so it is sort of the story of, you know, Jimmy sees the option of kind of being like his dad, who's a guy who's being taken for a ride, or or maybe being a little bit more like this kind of sleazy guy who is taking someone for a ride, and young Jimmy, for whatever reason, decides he'd rather be the wolf than the sheep, uh, as the guy
1: put it. Yep. It was maybe a little simpler than I would have liked. I, I, kind, of, I kind of liked my, my vision of something that really more explains... Uh, that uh, how a person decides, uh, gosh, you really have to go outside the system, subvert the system in order to uh, make it work and to make it be fair. You know, uh, but it works. It it serves the purpose of having a little setup for why someone at a young age uh, would start slowly turning into a con man. Even
0: Jimmy that we love might say of his dad, that he let people walk all over him, something like that. We haven't heard Jimmy talk about the dad. I feel like that might be the missing piece of the puzzle. To your point, I wrote down that I thought the flashback was a little heavy-handed. It didn't have the show's usual extra layer or two to make a scene really interesting. But as far as what what it dramatized, it confirmed that, yes, indeed, Jimmy has stolen from the till and probably did steal a lot more. But it also is possible that the dad gave a lot of money away. We don't know the full answer there, but we do know that it's not that Jimmy was fully innocent, and it's not that he had some benevolent reason for doing what he did. He did it in a
1: very pointed moment of kind of acting out against his dad. Right. He's turning cynical, but it's it's not as simple as it all coming down to this moment, we, because we see in the opening, he's already a tricky kid, you know, but maybe only to the degree that any kid is. You know, he's, he's secretly reading the magazine and pretending to sweep, uh, so it's not super suddenly out of the blue that he might be influenced by the dark side uh speaking of the magazine it's a funny
0: thing to me um you know when they when they shoot something in the past and they go to they do their homework and they dig up all these cool things from the era to sit on the shelf But it bugs me that old magazines are looking old. They should be looking new. (laughs) Like, I know that it's a silly thing, and I should be glad that they found, like, vintage issues of Boy's Life and Playboy, and I bet that it's accurate to 1972 or 3 or whenever that is supposed to be, you know? I didn't notice that, but I, I hear you. All right, so we we pick up the episode, the episode proper, that is, with Jimmy sketching out
1: logos for what we realize later is going to be Wexler-McGill. Did you see where that was going in any way? I didn't put together. I looked at it and said, hmm, WM, he's got a lot of nice uh, possible ideas for logos, but uh, it didn't occur to me, Wexler-McGill. I don't know for
0: sure that I was thinking law firm Wexler-McGill, but I did think, oh, W for Wexler, M for McGill. And I I came into this episode thinking so much about Jimmy trying to do something new. Right. Actually, that scene doesn't have much to do with Jimmy. It's just a little note that he's doodling in his sketch pad because what he's actually done at the courthouse to do is to represent Mike in his attempt to change his account on the books as to what happened. It's Mike going in and saying that the gun is not Tuco's, but he's not admitting to it being his gun, which I thought was a little strange. Why do you think he's not doing what the Salamanca's asked him to do?
1: Yeah, I don't know where that comes from. I guess it is uh uh between the two of them. It's a decision they made to uh make the blow as as small as possible to to Mike's uh reputation or or whatever punishment he might get.
0: I wondered if that was a Jimmy tactic or if that was like what Mike wanted to do. And I wondered if Mike was sitting there mum because he was told to act mum and he wants to incriminate himself as little as possible and not say anything, or if that was Mike fuming because Jimmy is being such a weirdo. I mean, I just couldn't tell like what was up between those two characters in that moment. I, I do think it was a moment of interesting deflation of our expectations because we've been looking so forward to seeing Mike and Jimmy get back on screen together, and mm-hmm. there's no connection whatsoever. Jimmy tries to reach out a little bit to Mike, but Mike doesn't want to talk to Jimmy. Um, he doesn't even want Jimmy to do him a favor because he recognizes right. that's getting into a favor cycle with this guy. He doesn't want to have anything
1: to do with him. He knows that Jimmy is not fully on the up and up, and that's exactly the kind of guy he needs right here. So every time he goes to him, it's like, I need that kind of lawyer, so let me call that guy. But I, I don't particularly like him. And uh, – yeah, we've seen scenes where Jimmy seems to kind of like Mike, or at least he's warm to him or in a in a funny way, or makes fun of him like he's playing with him, and says, "This is my granddad." Uh, so you think, oh, maybe they're they're sort of a uh, uh, almost friends, but no, it doesn't. That seems to go only one way. What I saw in Mike throughout this whole episode was
0: that he's so mad about what happened. He's so mad about his mistake. He's so mad about uh, uh, the Salamancas kind of taking advantage of him, even though he got a lot of money from them. And he's obviously dealing with Stacy's situation where I I can't see Stacy in a scene without thinking,
1: is she using him? He doesn't really know her that well or have that deep of a connection with her beyond that he has this heavy sense of duty. You know, it's like he's super into serving the person that he's supposed to serve. You know, it's like, oh, I want to take care of these family members of mine. So he's really into that. But not so into opening up about his own you know personal character or letting anybody know that he's a, a a secret badass or whatever you know uh so he just puts on this little uh character of the super nice guy who says yeah whatever you want dear and she a little bit the same way can't help but sort of accept what he's offering her and so and that's the main thing she's she's going through with him.
0: I mean, obviously she would be happy to get that house, but I couldn't tell if I was reading like genuine excitement and happiness over having a nicer house and a place for her daughter to feel more safe versus a person who is sort of going down their own wrong path of depending too much on this man. Yeah,
1: I see it as she feels a little bit bad that she's letting him help her so much financially. Uh, but every time she tries to voice... Gosh, I feel a little bit bad about this. He says, "No, no, no. It, it, whatever we can do, no problem. You can you can get it." And she says, "Okay." Again, the actress is good, the writing
0: is good, the filming is good. Everything has been on point to the point where I just have realized that there's a little bit of a vacancy where her character is for me in terms of understanding that relationship. That 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 whole dynamic could be richer. Yeah. If I if I felt like I knew a little bit more about her other than just the fact that she needs help. Right. I guess I will stress that I don't think she's been pushing for anything totally extravagant. It's not like she's trying to buy a McMansion, or it's not like she's getting a a jet ski or something like that.
1: But she could get greedy, and and that could be a... A story that after after he keeps treating her like this for a little too long she could be like, oh, could I get a jet ski now? What
0: did you think of Mike's eventual outcome from that where he was saying, okay I'll get you this money and then he's what, he's staking out the, the, the little restaurant and market where the Salamancas meet? Like, what's happening there? What do you think he's going to try to do? I have my own thoughts but I wanted to hear, hear
1: yours. Well, that's my question. I don't know that I have thoughts as much as, as questions. So just like, what? Is he just planning on having a one-man heist on the Salamancas and stealing a bunch of money from them or what?
0: Do you think we're going to get to Gus Fring this season? No. I mean, I could see this
1: whole thing with him going
0: up against the Salamanca's being the thing that puts him in contact with Gus. You don't you don't think so. You don't see it going
1: there. Unless it's like a cliffhanger moment like like ooh, the end of the last episode we see that he exists. So that was a cool way to end the season, you know. They might do that, but I feel like it'd be more like They would put him off until next season or later. I'm not interested as much in the last scene of the
0: season, him popping up, as much as I would be him popping up as a character who we meet organically, and if something happens, and we we know the significance of this guy when we see him. Gus is the next link in that chain, as far as how do the characters we've seen thus far from Breaking Bad, how do they connect to the greater events on Breaking Bad, and and specifically Mike, it's Gus. I mean, because Mike worked for Gus. Right. Which, you know, if he goes right to working for Gus, maybe he never does have a moment of working with Jimmy and thinking Jimmy's an all right guy. I mean, like, maybe he's always just looking at Jimmy. I mean, I wonder if, if, you know, he does seem a little bit cozier with Saul, but not, like, friendly, just he's got more of
1: a working relationship with him. So, It just seems like he's got to have more of a working relationship with him in some storylines, or else it's just odd that he's even on the show. Well, he's probably on the show because... He's a popular character from Breaking Bad, and the producers had
0: the chance to work with the great Jonathan Banks and have him as a regular on their series. But as far as within the world, yes. <laughs> uh, if, if they don't intersect and kind of join in on the same plot line soon, I, I think that it will it will kind of serve to make the show seem less unified. After all, the name is uh, Better Call Saul, not Better Call Saul, and also this Mike guy who's really cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> Speaking of the lead of the show, I was wondering what you think the purpose of the Davis and Maine storyline was. If we can assume that for for the for the, you know, in general, maybe we'll see Clifford Main again. Maybe we'll see Aaron or Omar or different characters again. But in general, it seems that there's no reason to go back to Davis in Maine next week.
1: Right. And I guess, yeah, the question is, why did we go into that story-wise and come back out when we could have just had, at the beginning of this season, Jimmy starts up his own little firm instead of doing that uh, eight episodes later? Right. My answer would be that maybe they just wanted to really, before getting to that, demonstrate that Jimmy would be a bad fit uh if he tried to work in that world and they showed us uh, that he is Um, and I I would like for it to end up being more than that that now that we know those characters Clifford Main and uh, Omar you know uh, and Aaron maybe we uh, use them some more we bring them back in some stories here and there over the next season or or whatever and uh, so that it doesn't seem too much like a little uh, uh, cul-de-sac like you say but um but yeah maybe it is just that realistic of a story that like you do in life you you make a turn you go down a road a little bit and you say, oh this isn't for me and you turn around and you get back out um I, th- I think yeah everything you
0: said I pretty much I pretty much agree with. I think that like like for instance Omar got a little bit more screen time in this episode yeah and he uh, he got to show a little bit of charm and you know the fact that he seemed a little bit hurt when Jimmy was ready to leave and he was glad when he was staying and he was happy to help him. And we found out he has kids and all this stuff that felt very like either the swan song for a background character who who we got an extra moment with or a little hint of there's more here. Right. Now we know he has kids. Now we know he's going to help Jimmy out if he can. That could easily become Jimmy's liaison in some future case or story or something like that. Um, And I would say the same thing about Aaron just as being a background character. If we now have Clifford Maine and Aaron, I don't know her last name. As characters that that can pop up, you know, in court opposite Jimmy or on the, you know, as opposing counsel in some way, shape or form. I mean, I think that seems like a rich tapestry to be developing.
1: Yeah, right. You have set up more of the world. Because at this point, do we care about Sandpiper? I mean, are we even in- involved in that anymore? Yeah. They may never mention that again. They may somehow say that's still going on and it's important because this and this. I feel like you and I were talking
0: like a few weeks back in terms of how much Jimmy was kind of kind of burning things down or messing things up, you know. And I think that opening from Bali High, where he was unable to sleep, and he went to his old digs, and he was able to sleep, I became a lot more sympathetic. Rather than thinking of Jimmy as kind of ungrateful and not willing to work within the parameters that these people had generously laid out for him, I started thinking of him as someone who couldn't help it, you know? Like, he can't help but not want to to do this thing and he's gonna mess it up. It's, you know, Chuck said he's like an alcoholic who can't admit he has a problem. And I think we've seen that Jimmy really can't help himself. And Ed Bagley Jr., if he's not on the show anymore, I would believe, well, they cast him because they needed a good actor for that scene where he finally says kind of what we've been saying to ourselves, which is like, what's your problem? Like, what was wrong? What did we do? Like, why didn't you just want to try? Right. How do you feel about that little tag at the end where Jimmy turns around and tries to be warm because he doesn't want to leave with Clifford Main thinking that... You know, that he did something wrong. And he says, uh, for what it's worth, I always thought you were a nice guy. And he says, for what it's
1: worth, I think you're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, do you think Jimmy needed to hear that? Well, it, yeah, to the degree that we all need to hear that when we mess up with people, then, yeah. But he, he had to kind of know already. But so, yeah, it was very realistic. You have those moments in life where the person tells you uh, how you've screwed up uh, or done them wrong. And you hear them and say, gosh, they're right. And I can't really say anything right now except for, okay, then I am leaving the room. Sorry, but <laughs> sorry doesn't cut it, I know. And so that's the end of this scene. Uh, yeah, it had that, that uh, tone, which really is a hassle to go through.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think that you hit the nail on the head. That it's that moment where you really don't have any ability to defend yourself. And I mean, I can think right. of personal relationships and work relationships where you you just can't say anything. You and you're not if if you have any dignity, you
1: don't say anything. You know. And sometimes there's no reason to anyway because you're leaving.
0: You're leaving, and this person doesn't care. Like this person now, you're dead to them. Right, C- Clifford. He was open. Like I love yeah. that they underscored it that the end of that that it was like we brought you on, we gave you everything. Right. We made it totally comfortable for you. We gave you a chance and a second chance, yep. And you and and you just gave us the finger. What what gives? You know, like I love that they didn't let the character, not, or the viewers, like avoid facing that. Yeah, that here's a guy who who yeah he couldn't do it. Like because now we're I think I am going to enjoy watching him, you know, be this proto Saul that he's becoming now um, a little bit more because I'm not going to be nagged by this idea of. Why does it, Why does he have to be slipping Jimmy? I believe now that he has to be slipping Jimmy. I don't quite understand what that is in a person that makes him that thing that may be self-destructive in some way, mm-hmm. or just destructive.
1: Well, when you're a kid and somebody tells you you can only everybody's either a wolf or a sheep, and which one are you going to be? Sometimes that uh, uh, hits you really hard. Can you think back to those moments where some grown-up said something to you and you remember
0: it now and it meant something to you and means something? Yeah. But if you told someone they almost wouldn't believe you, like, that you actually changed your life because of that one thing,
1: (laughs) you know? Right, or it kind of messed you up or something you heard on a a PSA or something that could just totally uh, hit you uh, too strong. Uh, As a kid, things people say can really be strangely powerful.
0: Yeah. I mean, which again, not to say that you're blaming the person because I'm bet, you know, I'm sure we say things all the time to people that are offhand and they, they mean more or different things to that person than they, than they meant to us. But yeah, the way that Jimmy got to getting fired though, was one of my favorite moments of the show in two seasons so far. I love the montage. So yeah, Jimmy gets the idea for the the flashy clothes from the inflatable uh, windsock man. I was wondering, what do you call those things?
1: Yeah, I, I like uh, Windsock Man. I don't know uh, what they call him.
0: I hear everybody else calling them what they called them on Family Guy, and I don't watch that show much, but I did happen to see the, you know, they had the wacky, waving, inflatable arm flailing tube man is what it was, like a, a television commercial on Family Guy that has like a song and everything. Uh-huh. Then I thought, what are they really called? So just in case you're wondering, they are frequently known as Windsock Dancers, uh-huh. Air Dancers, or Sky Dancers. Uh-huh. But it was nice to see the way the wheels, you know, the, the way the idea occurred to him and you see him driving away with that grin on his face that was to me was a flashback to last year when he was driving away with that same kind of grin uh, at the end of the season. You know, when mm-hmm. it, when he was listening to Smoke on the Water and he's just told Mike he's never going to be hindered by trying to do the right thing again. Yeah. So it's like Jimmy drives around in the car and gets uh, <laughs> gets inspiration or something like yeah. that. But I did like that what we saw next was a very linear. Uh, you know, you started to see, oh, he's trying to get fired, and that the flashy suits, rather than being some outgrowth of, I mean, maybe that is him on a certain level, but it was definitely an attempt to offend the kind of refined sensibilities at the firm.
1: I, I thought that was just great. Yeah, it was one of the most fun scenes out of the whole series. Just to put together the the suits and the and the. uh the split screen stuff going on, and then the not flushing the toilet and then the bagpipes and the juicing uh it was all just so ridiculous and over the top, but uh, perfect I loved that his reason
0: for um for not flushing the toilet involved being concerned about the santa Fe watershed, <laughs> like he had his <laughs> he had his b s you know so ready. I just thought that that was Jimmy at his best, you know yeah, even though Clifford Maine is onto him, yeah. It's like it's a perfectly executed prank. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? You're gonna play it all the way out. I did enjoy that the guy that he runs into, the client that he runs into when he's first wearing like the salmon colored suit and looking totally flashy and inappropriate, that he's uh Al Newman of Allied Funeral Homes. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I liked how frustrated Aaron was with it all. If you ever caught like her in the background of any of those scenes, she just couldn't believe this guy.
1: Right, which was, went along with your question of whether she was gonna be a real and developed character or just a uh, a cutout uh, of a of a simple exasperated uh, person, and so far she's borne out to still be sort of just a foil, like you said. Uh, and Jimmy throws her aluminum can in the trash can, not the recycling, uh, just as a, a a parting blow. That was that was pretty mean. Like, there's no love lost between those two. Right. I am maybe sad to say goodbye to
0: those characters, but if that is how it ends. It is, it is, it does do what we, what we just discussed. It does kind of take Jimmy out of the running of being like a legitimate lawyer in a lot of ways. Right. And even Kim is noticing that because she, in the end, makes this offer to Jimmy to go into business with him, not as he originally suggested as full on partners, but as just people kind of sharing a roof and having some kind of a deal where they're not going to intrude on each other's business, you
1: know. She's smart. She's protecting herself because she knows if she's really in business with him. She's working with a tricky lawyer who's going to be constantly messing with the rules. And uh, and she could, you know, go down along with him when he, when he blows up the world. But, I mean, will she go down along with him the
0: way she's setting herself up as being kind of separate?
1: Right. Is it going to work? Is she going to separate herself but fail anyway to, to stay safe from his destructive ways?
0: Well, I mean, we've been looking
1: at him pulling away
0: from the world that she sort of seemed to want to be part of this whole time. And we're now seeing her realize she doesn't really want to be part of it with her Freudian slip of the century with calling Schweikert Howard, um, which in the moment I thought, oh, this is going to play as her putting her foot in it at the end of the interview. But instead, it played much more as her realizing that Jimmy was right when he said that Schweikert was just Howard, you know, by a different
1: name. Right. And also I felt like the thing that spurred her to have that idea, too, was maybe when they, they asked her, what, what were you wanting when you set out on this whole career, and she said just more, you know, and so maybe that uh, sparked in her mind a little bit too, like, I maybe I could go for more than just a new, a lateral move.
0: And and what Jimmy sells to her is what he kind of wanted to do with her last season, if you remember, when they were looking at the office space, and he said she could have the corner office and so forth, do you remember that? Right. And I remember his feelings being really hurt when she didn't want to kind of stake her reputation on him at the time. And I think we saw a little bit of that hurt in this episode when he first mentions Wexler McGill to her. And and so when she came out of that meeting with Schweikert and she ripped the business card in half, I was halfway thinking... Oh, she's thinking she wants more. She can't have Jimmy weighing her down. She ripped the card in half as a symbolic gesture, which again, might be a little heavy handed or a little too much, but it played for me because it became a visual you know, motif when she brings it in later and she uses it to explain her offer to him. Separate, but equal kind of.
1: Right. I was like you. I was thinking, is she, is she thinking about breaking up? And so when she didn't and she came to him instead with
0: this proposition, well, there's two parts of that. One is earlier when she said she didn't want to be his law partner he said I want you and she said you've got me just not as your law partner I thought that was a nice moment because it underscores that that's one of the first times she said something like that to him that like she's with him yeah but then I thought in the end I mean and to your question of like is this going to be her undoing in some way but beyond that it's just it made me realize that what the show did was like, maybe at the end, we're ending with Jimmy considering this offer, and that's making you think, well, is he somehow still stinging from the rejection? Is he going to do something bitter or spiteful? Or is is it just like, just, just showing that, and we can assume the yes, you know? Uh, but what I was wondering about that and as related to Kim is they did a good job of showing as they often do of illustrating the thing instead of having one scene where, she, where he says will you go into business with me and she says how about this and he says yes what they do is she rejects him it reminds him of what happened last time and how he's kind of in Dutch with her in some way about a lot of things you know mm-hmm we were seeing Jimmy get his feelings hurt again. Yeah. And then we were seeing how it made us think, well, what's going to happen here. We kind of feel a little bad for him that Kim's, you know, recognizes him for what he is and, and wants to be a legitimate lawyer. So when she comes to him with this other offer, I found myself going, okay, maybe that was all there just to show that now that Kim's come to her senses, she does want to align herself with him as much as she can and be professionally safe. But I, part of that is encouraging him to be who he is. Mm-hmm. that's a huge part of that is that she's saying, you do your thing your way. And I just won't, I won't intrude on it. Yeah, or allowing it anyway. So in that sense, that seems like a really good offer. But do you think Jimmy now is? Has, do you think his feelings got hurt to the point where now he's considering it with a little bit of cynicism or a little bit of bitterness? That oh, she wants to go
1: in with me, but she doesn't really want to go in with me. I think that's exactly it. He's that's why he's having to think about it. And we end on that because he knows oh, this is nice that she's sort of saying yes, but I wish she had totally said yes instead of sort of saying yes. And. Uh, but I gotta think he's gotta say yes because he, uh, I feel like he loves her a lot to the point that he has a lot of deference to her and will just say, okay, let's, let's do what you want to do. Right. And he's okay with doing it on her conditions because also she's not saying you're going to work for me and you're not going to be a tricky lawyer. You know, she's saying you'll just be over on your side of the hall and we won't be too tangled up, but we'll, we'll have the, the same building and it'll be nice. We'll be happy neighbors. And I like that when Kim comes to see him,
0: he's not brooding in the back room about her turning him down. He's buzzing already. He's got activity going on. Yeah. I just thought that was a really cool indication of Jimmy's spirit and Jimmy's character that, again, redeems some of the kind of soul-searching he's been doing. Boy, that sounds like a pun on the title of this show, but the soul-searching Jimmy's been doing this season thus far, I was glad to kind of see Jimmy unleashed just a little bit. Yeah. If Jimmy and Kim are in the same place working, it seems like we'll get to see them together a lot. We'll get to see her... Reacting to him without being so hurt by him you know which i i want more of yeah i do now worry more about kim because it seems like if he left davis and maine and started his own shop you would see the progression to saul goodman without kim having to be cut out of the picture in some way but now if they're going to be so closely tied it just tells us that now there really does have to be a change in his status with kim Mm -hmm. if he's working as saul goodman in the future
1: right before we get to the breaking bad setup something either goes south between them or something happens to her right they can still say oh their business doesn't work out or they break up professionally but she's still with him romantically even even after that but you're right it does make it feel like a bigger
0: worry well all right this is the point where i say anything else no uh I'm happy if you're happy. Well, I'm certainly happy, Chris. I think you can tell. Yeah. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can write us at SaulSearching at com. You can find us on Twitter at Saul underscore searching. And as I mentioned last time, you can, uh, if you happen to recognize us on the street, you can approach us and, you know, I would say do it politely, but you can approach us with any questions you might have about Better Call Saul.
1: Yeah, that's a great plan.
0: Any other ways to get in touch with you, Chris?
1: Uh, old-fashioned telegram, I think. Uh, well, Western Union quit doing it, but surely there's somebody out there who will still provide that service. I think there's no better time than now to just say, hot talk. Hot talk.